FM 96.3 AM 620. News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here and joining us in studio now, as he so graciously does whenever we ask him, is the Chief of Police in Burlington, Chief John Murad. Good morning, Chief. Good morning to both of you. Thanks so much for having me and good morning to your listeners. Thanks for coming in. We greatly appreciate it. And, uh, Chief, we're going to get into the year-end report that has been put out. But first, I want to just ask you a question because we, we've had this come up a number of times with candidates. It's happened this year. And it happened in, actually in the past year where people, you know, there, it was a number. It was probably the biggest issue in the mayor's race uh, back in December in the caucus where they were choosing the Democratic candidate to go forward. And it, it continues to be, which is that 2020 resolution, which... You can call it defunded the police, or you can use some other word. It, ca- it, it called for a reduction in the number of police that we were allowed to have. And uh, a lot of candidates now either don't want to talk about that or, or they will say that resolution had nothing to do with the reduction in the police force. It was simply something that was going on statewide. It, is that accurate? Uh, no, I, I think that's patently false. Uh, the The fact is that those two things did have a relationship. It wasn't a defunding in the sense of immediately removing money. It wasn't a defunding in the sense of, of creating layoffs. Uh, that is true. Uh, and it was instead a reduction in the uh, department's size of sworn officers by attrition. However, it was very clear to, to me, uh, uh, to other people who were involved, and also we made it clear during testimony in June of 2020 uh, that that reduction would happen far faster than anybody anticipated, uh, that there was a clear message being sent to the men and women of the police department uh, about where the community uh, felt about policing, how the community felt about policing, about the uh, appreciation for policing, uh, and that that was going to have an immediate ripple effect on that attrition. Um, And that is exactly what happened. the you know the annual report that we have there shows on its on its first main page of data the where headcount went from the time of that resolution to uh, today and and it was uh, a largely uh, precipitous plummet um, and that was directly the result of how people felt that is how officers in the police department felt uh, about that resolution and, and what it said about what a, a vocal part of the community felt about their. Uh, contributions on a daily basis to uh, keeping Burlington safe. I'm glad to say I don't believe that is the case anymore. I think that we have uh, a play, come to a new place. And, and the fact is that I sort of uh, would would love to be able to put that entire chapter behind us in the sense of being able to move forward from it. Um, the city council voted and after excre- incredibly strong work by Mayor Weinberger um, and the Burlington Police Officers Association to negotiate a fair new contract. The city council voted for that contract. That contract's implementation uh, last summer uh, basically stopped the fall of our sworn staffing headcount, um, and we have now begun to, to grow again. I don't entirely know where we are going to go um, in 2024, but I know that in 2023, we brought in more police officers than in any year in our recorded history, uh, as far as what we have records of, um, and that goes back about 20, 25 years. We have not, we brought in 15 
uh, new sworn police officers. That's more than we'd ever brought in. Uh, we suffered some, you know, tenure retirements, et cetera, during 2023 as well. So we didn't end up with 15 more officers on the road. Uh, but we do have uh, six officers in field training right now. We're very excited to have them be full-fledged solo police officers sometime in the spring of 2024. Uh, and we hope that we will see some great recruiting in 2024 as well. Uh, will it be 15? I don't know. Um, but that is our, that's our, our, our goal here is growth. Totally understand that. And I just want to uh, just uh, I'll put my own clarification. Just I don't want people to get confused by what you're saying in regard to wanting to move past that chapter. We all do want to move past that chapter and not revisit it. I do think that it's important for us to be asking our political candidates about it because we need to know about their judgment and whether they might go back to that at some point in the future if something, some national incident happens or something here in Burlington because that we know political winds can change overnight and we could be right back there again. Sure. Uh, I mean, I think that I, I try to stay away from directly discussing politics. I, get I think it. it's a very important part You're a of wise the chief's man. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's, a, it's an important part of the chief's role. I think it's explicitly uh, incumbent upon police officers in the Burlington City Charter. No other role in the city has that uh, prohibition around discussing politics, and so I, I certainly don't want to. You know, the question was, was there a direct correlation between that resolution and the, the numbers of departures that we saw in an extremely short period of time? 100% there was. And uh, the other Piece, though, I'll say is that, you know, there were aspects of that resolution, too, that were things that uh, that I agreed with and, and felt were important. But that particular point, the notion of a reduction that had no uh, math behind it, no study behind it, no real uh, sense of purpose behind it, aside from something that felt to officers certainly punitive uh, for things that police officers in Burlington had not necessarily done, was going to be counterproductive. We're talking to Chief John Muir at Burlington's. Chief of Police, if you have a question for the Chief, give us a call on the McKenzie Country Classic Hotline, 888-414-0303. Just one more question on that, John, then we'll start uh, asking some questions and talk about the uh, year-end report. Um, can you clarify, I know that some people in the past have, have thought this as serving on the council as a long, for a long time, that, that um, if we had 95 officers at one point, then why couldn't the cap back then have just been reduced from 105 down to 95? We know it's different now, sure. but back then people thought like, okay, we got 93 officers right now or 95. So why is the cap 105? Why isn't it this lower number? Can you explain that why that why that needed to be the way it was? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not certain that I can give a, an explanation that is satisfactory. The the issue is this: the time that it takes to hire and train a police officer uh, is extremely long, um, longer than for other kinds of positions. And as a result, we are almost always a little bit behind what we want with regard to hiring, and we are always a little bit ahead of the game with regard to resignations or tenure retirements. So when an officer retires after 20 years, we have a good idea of when that's going to happen. Um, but other officers sometimes leave uh, at times that we did not expect. And today, you know, I just got this other offer with the FBI or with the U.S. Marshal Service, or I've just decided I'm going to leave this profession. And even prior to, uh, you know, the, the sort of tumult of the last four years, that used to happen. Uh, people are people and, and people say it's time to move on or I got a different opportunity or my, you know, spouse is moving and, and I'm going to move with him and, and go to this other police department. That happened. And because it happened 
ads in an irregular way, and we are bound by the hiring process really to only hire twice a year in anticipation of the February Vermont Police Academy class and the August Vermont Police Academy class, we bounce all over the place. And again, in that annual report, you'll see a, a chart that shows uh, point-by-point staffing at the beginning of each month over the course of the last you know decade. Uh, and what that demonstrates is that that bounce moves up and down a lot. And, and if you peg it to the average of where you are, then you don't have enough room to be above that average, which is what you need in order to have the, the you know, to keep up with that, that balance between loss of folks and the incoming folks. Yeah, you actually have to, you have to be above the average to maintain an average. You can't the, just the, always be below it. The allocation has to be above it. That's yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, I, uh, the, 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 the graph is, is pretty compelling. I got, I have to tell you, uh, and you can see, and, and one of the things that, um, that, that strikes me as a little curious and then we can move on, but even though, you know, they say attrition, well, people left and that's happening nationally and, 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 and they try to deflect, um, with that. Um, I always say, do you want to work for a boss or a, a company or an organization that, that just said, we don't want you here. So, uh, you know, I think that that is, uh, that can be a component. Um, you know, I've certainly done everything that I can do to try to make certain that, that officers know they are supported by me. They've been supported 100% by, by the mayor and, and the administration. Um, and I do believe that the majority of Burlington wants good policing and wants good police officers. I really do believe that in my heart. Um, and, and by the way, you know, we're talking about these, these charts and these graphs. Uh, the annual report, it's a preliminary year-end report for 2023. Uh, we distributed it to the media at the very beginning of January, and then we sent it out via Front Porch Forum uh, to all Burlington uh, Front Porch Forum groups um, about two, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. But it is also available on our website. So if you go to the City of Burlington website and the Police Department subpage, and below that there's a Transparency and Data page, you can find this preliminary year-end report and see all those graphs for yourself. Because, of course, talking about graphs on radio is a little hard. Yeah, but I, <laughs> but I, I did... Uh, because when you had said that earlier to Kurt that you feel like we you hit bottom and we're headed in the other direction. Yeah. That that is that to me just resonated instantly. Yeah. I, I think that's important. I do feel that that's happened. I don't know if our climb is going to be as aggressively uh sort of uh you know skyward as I hope that it will be. I I want a a climb like that. I think that we were really on track in 2023. I think there are a lot of markers in 2024 that are concerning. I think there's, you know, in some ways there're some good markers for all of us in the sense of a, a relatively strong economy. We see unemployment employment much lower than we've seen it in a very long time but that makes it very difficult to hire and it also makes it difficult to hire in the public sector uh people tend to come to the public sector when times are tough and then they go to the private sector when times are good and and that can make it challenging to bring in people to a role like this especially when when what we're really looking for is something that is increasingly difficult to get in our modern economy which is people who want to be in a career for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, our, our young folks today are often geared towards experience more than, than compensation. And they are geared towards, you know, I don't want to be tied down to this or that. Um, and so it, we, we exist in a, in a challenging time right now and in a challenging profession. Uh, and so, you know, getting our recruitment numbers in 2024 is going to be a, uh, uh, a challenge that I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that we are up to. I know that our recruitment officer, 
uh, Corporal Carolyn Irwin, and our recruiting coordinator, who's a professional employee, not a sworn officer, Anhat Bajwa. They are amazing, and they're doing huge amounts of work. Um, but it's an all-hands-on-deck kind of effort as far as us getting that uh, to work with regard to everybody in the police department being a participant in that. And that includes everybody from my two terrific deputy chiefs, you know, Brian Labarge and Wade Labreck, all the way down uh, to any member of the department being a, a good ambassador for that department to get us to help us grow again. Burlington's Chief of Police, John Murad. Uh, Chief, who, put, who puts the, the uh, year-end report together? I do. That's that's my that is my labor of uh, it's not a love. It takes a long time. <laughs> I'm um, sure it does. But uh, that is mine. And and most many of the photos are either mine or our terrific uh, redaction specialist um, Shan Shan Chen, who uh, is does some of those photographs and things. And and then the data is is me. We have a data analyst who is assigned to the police department, although uh, is employed by a different department in the city. Um, Zoe Portless, really really wonderful analyst uh, who does some of the bigger kinds of questions especially around the year-end report so this is a year-end well excuse me this is a preliminary year-end report we do an annual report as well that really digs into data in a much more uh, comprehensive way than this report uh, that's produced by by zoe and and a team in a different department of the city um, but this is is us and and largely me uh and, okay no that's fine just wanted to know and then um looking at uh year-to-date incidents now in 2020 a few years ago well, there was actually one year. Let me see. Uh, well, right now, the incidents, I guess, in 2023. Let's look at that. The incidents in 2023, uh, 30,760 incidents, uh, up 22%. Now, can you sort of break that down a little bit for us? When we say incidents, is there are there numbers that are particularly high in one category and not so much in another category? What's the breakdown a little bit in that? Yeah, so so the next page actually has a breakdown of it because it talks about uh, some incident categories that we basically track at every, um, not the very next, I'm sorry, the following page, uh, has some incidents that we track at every uh, police commission meeting. So the, this annual, this preliminary year-end report is sort of a, a an aggregation, a conglomeration of the reports that I do on a monthly basis to our independent police commission. Um, and we have a great relationship currently with our police commission, led really ably by uh, Shakuntala Rao and and Mary Cox um, uh, as the co-chairs, and uh, I'm really, really happy with where we are right now with our relationship with them. I present data to them every month, uh, and we talk about certain categories. For example, you know, we track simple assaults and aggravated assaults and retail, th- excuse me, and larcenies, aggregated larcenies and vehicle theft, etc. Uh, so the the total incident volume is not the same as saying crime is up. Incident volume are incidents. They are more appropriately, we might call them calls for service. The majority of them are calls for service from the public saying, hey, I need this or I've seen this. It's strange. I don't know what it is, but it looks like it might be an assault. It looks like it might be an overdose. I'm worried about my neighbor because I haven't seen her in a long time and she's elderly. Whatever that is, that's going to occasion a call for service or an incident. And we create an incident through our dispatch. And then we respond. Officers can also create incidents on their own. If they're walking up the marketplace and they see three people fighting, you know, half a block up, they say, you know, we've got a, a possible 1010, uh, you know, disturbance. Um, show me on the marketplace for a, a disturbance. And we they punch a card for that. So they're not all calls for service from the public per se, but they're not all crimes by any means. Our incident volume has gone up this year. It's higher than it's been in any year since 2017, um, and it is up 
In other words, over, I think there was an artificial lull in 2020 and 2021 and into 2022 caused by the pandemic and the ways in which we as a community and the world really sort of turtled in on ourselves and, and, and withdrew from each other. Uh, and that caused a reduction in incident volume. That reduction was already apparent in mid 2020 and was used as a, as an excuse to say, uh, that, that some of the decisions that were made with regard to headcount were, were, you know, supported. Um, it really wasn't. We knew that we would get back to normal kinds of, of volume and uh, and quickly. And here we are. So that uh, 2023 was higher than any year since 2017. And the reality is, even though, as you say, 30,760 incidents don't mean the vast majority of them are not uh, criminal activity. No. But they are still incidents that police officers have to respond to. And even though we're we're moving in the right direction, we still have less officers than we did before to deal with these incidents. That's correct. So so for the major categories that we track, like gunfire and disorderly conduct and larcenies and robberies and and these things, we we track all of them. But for the ones that I track on a monthly basis in this report, uh, if I look at 2023 versus 2022, more uh, we we have a lot that are down. We've made real progress on a lot of them. Gunfire is down 38 percent from 2020 versus 2022. Uh, disorderly conduct is down. Domestic disturbances are down. Uh, you know, stolen vehicles are down. And there are other categories that are up. If I look at 2023 versus the five-year average, so in other words, 2018 through 2022, what is the average of all those years? <clears throat> uh, we see uh, many more categories that are up than are down. And that's a problem. What, what that indicates is that, you know, we are trying to get back to normal. We're having some success at getting back to what we used to expect in our public sphere with regard to criminal behavior and and the frequency of it uh but we're still not there and that we've the last couple years have seen an increase in a number of different kinds of criminal behavior stolen vehicles uh let me just then anthony stolen vehicles is down because all these is it down from the high before because because i have to say everything we've heard is stolen vehicles are just going through the roof in burlington south burlington so again, it, so here, here's why I used both in that report. Here's why I have a page that compares 2023 to 2022 and a page that compares 2023 to that five-year average because they tell different stories. And I think both of them are fair, but I don't want to be accused of saying one is more important than the other. If I look at 2023 versus 2022, stolen vehicle is down 10%. In other words, we had fewer in 2023 than in 2022. That's a good thing. 2022 was exceedingly high. It was crazy high. <clears throat> Excuse me. If I look at the five-year average for stolen vehicles, and so I say, what are we at in 2023 versus the five-year average? Even with that incredibly high number in 2022, the five-year average of 2018 to 2022 is much, much lower than what we had in 2023. And so 2023 uh, stolen vehicle is up 144% over that five-year average. It's down it. 10%, down 10% versus last year, but it was up 144% versus yeah. that five-year average. That's what I was, uh, that was, my, my point is, I, I like the graphic that shows 2018, and the one, you know, and the years in between, because you can see where the numbers shifted. In 2018, there were 2,600 traffic stops. In 2023, there were 700. So there's a 1,900 difference. There were 600 larcenies in 2018. There's 1,600 larcenies in 2023. Yeah. So you have 30,000 <clears throat> connections with the with the outside world, but the numbers can tell you right there that that um, where where the shift is. It's nice to see. 
improvements, like like you said. Uh, but I, I like the fact that you're that transparent with the data because you can really see where the interactions have flipped. Yeah, and it's petty. It's larceny. I mean, year to year is sort of how we measure what we're doing in a tactical sense. How are we working? How you know where do we need to focus new efforts, redouble efforts? Uh, but that five year average versus this year is where we see what is our ultimate goal. Right, because our ultimate goal is to get back to the to the best place in any given category. Where yeah. were we? You know, for for gunfire, for example, we used to have two gunfire incidents a year. Yeah, from 2012 through 2019, we had two gunfire incidents a year on average. Yep. So some years there were none, one or two years there was three, but it was really low. In 2020, it went just it went crazy. We had 14. Then we had in in 2021, excuse me, we had a dozen, I think, in in 2020. In 2021, we had 14. In 2022, we had, uh, you know, 26. And and then last year, we had 16. So that's an improvement from from a year-to-year perspective. Mm -hmm. But we are still way off where we used to be. Chief, we've got a call. We're going to get you before we hit the break. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Hi, good morning. First of all, Chief, thank you for everything that you do. I hope you know that people do appreciate what you and the officers in our city do. My question is around uh, retail theft. And if you think there's anything useful that could happen in terms of changes, you know, on the local level and also on the state level. Thank you. Thanks for that question, and, and thanks for, for your kind words at the beginning. So, yeah, retail theft, we had a, a tough year with retail theft. Retail theft uh, w- was up, golly, uh, if we look at 2023 versus that five-year average, it's up 231%. So uh, a 231% increase is just is, is nuts. It's crazy. The only thing that was up more in 2023 over the five-year average was overdose. And those things go hand-in-hand, frankly, because overdose is indicative of, you know, of a substance use disorder in our community, especially substance use disorder that isn't treated or isn't being uh, hidden by sort of social buffers or family buffers, but is rather out in the open. And uh, that behavior brings with it the need to uh, oftentimes steal to feed the habit and retail theft goes up as well uh if we looked at year-to-year retail theft uh it was up a lot there too uh if in 2023 versus 2022 retail theft was up 155 percent so up 155 percent in the year and up 231 percent over the five-year average that's a problem what is happening the, the issue is this there are a couple one is that retail theft is a priority three response it is not a life safety incident although it is an economic safety incident. It is a health of our city incident. But insofar as the, we had to create a priority response model to deal with the fact that we are being asked to respond to more incidents than we have in any year since 2017 with half the number of patrol officers. So we're seeing more incidents in, than we saw in 2018, and we have half the number of patrol officers that we had in 2018. In order to do that, we had to create a priority response model that dealt with uh, life safety incidents as our first priority. Retail theft, therefore, became a priority three. We don't go to them. As a result, they often get reported after the fact. They get uh, sent to us in big bundles by some of the larger stores in the south end, particularly. And then we end up with these very large numbers of cases that we don't have the wherewithal to tackle and, and forward. We don't get them in a timely fashion to the state's attorney that frustrates the Chittenden County state's attorney greatly. And she's right to be frustrated by that because we have been sending her cases that occurred in February and that we investigated in June and that we identified a perpetrator in September and that we then send her, uh, you know, information in November. That is not a way to run uh, a business when it comes to that kind of thing. But we don't have the boots on the ground to respond to that. 
All right. Well, we're going to we're going to continue that conversation because it's a hot topic right now in Montpelier as well. We're going to take a break. We're going to check in with Fox News and drive on FM 96.3 and AM 620 News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody, on this Monday morning. Kurt and Anthony here, and continuing our discussion with Burlington Police Chief John Murad. If you've got a question, I know there's some calls coming in at the end. We couldn't get to when we hit the break, but give us a call back. We'll get your calls through to the Chief, 888-414-0303. Chief, talking about some bills in Montpelier, I want to just ask you about one more. And by the way, I hope legislators are listening that the Chief does support change to aggregate Oh, yes. I, I think that with regard to retail theft, and this was something in the previous caller, and I didn't really get to it, uh, the, the notion of, you know, one thing that we could do to uh, work on retail theft and larceny is is creating a, a system by which people who are doing it again and again and who are very knowingly always staying below the felony threshold, uh, but nevertheless victimizing stores far above that felony threshold owing to the repetitiveness of their act. And what I mean by that is this. Over 900 bucks is a felony, below 900 hundred dollars is not anything you steal below 900 bucks is a misdemeanor but if i hit the same store twice in the same day and i take well over 900 bucks it's still two misdemeanors not a felony i believe that that should be aggregated i believe we should explore the idea of time frames uh saying that you know hitting the same store over the course of say a week uh by the same individual should be able to be aggregated and i also believe that we should explore the idea of having stores or business districts in a specific area be able to aggregate themselves under an umbrella that says when you hit this one, this one, and this one, and they're part of the same business district, that too can be aggregated. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of appetite for lowering the threshold of misdemeanor and felony, in other words, making it less than $900, uh, but I do think that we should be able to handle people and address people who are knowingly and purposefully abusing this system and taking advantage of the uh, compassion that was involved in raising that monetary threshold, and I think we need to find ways to hold them accountable and, for what they're doing. And Chief, well, I, we can't speak for every person that's uh, committing retail theft, but it's doesn't it seem like a lot of people do know that the law is there that if they that nine hundred thresh nine hundred dollar threshold is there? Yes, uh, many many people, particularly people who do it more often, uh, you know, who are doing it more than once, uh, know that threshold. I would say that uh, your your sort of stereotypical five finger discount kid who's who's trying it for the first time may not be aware of that, but uh, the person who is unfortunately probably suffering from substance use disorder, uh, trying to feed a habit uh, and is stealing in order to do that they absolutely know what that threshold the real is. question i had but we're going to wait on that for a second was a, uh, in regard to auto theft but we'll go to the i'll defer to the <clears throat> phone call let's go to the phones good morning you're live on the morning drive yes good morning chief you know, i have enough family members in law enforcement to know that integrity is really number one for an officer would you agree with that i think it's very important yeah all right. Well, I guess I have to ask, that officer of yours that was straight out of a Mad Max movie with his motorcycle, has he been terminated because he should not be policing anybody? Well, uh, I think we're waiting for the court to be able to determine what exactly happened in that incident. Uh, the officer is uh, on the... is Neither of those officers is currently on the road. Um, Chief, and, I'm sorry to interrupt, but can we be... 
just so everybody knows what we're talking about. Is this the incident up in Franklin County? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Uh, they're both on uh, administrative duty, uh, actually paid administrative leave, um, and we'll wait to see what happens in the court. As far as you know, a, a description of it, uh, I think that the facts are going to be understood by the court. Once we have those facts, uh, we'll be able to determine whether or not we can, uh, you know, what is appropriate internally with regard to discipline. But Chief, Chief, you would, and I, I totally understand what you just said. You got to wait for the result in court. But just in general, you would say that police officers have a higher burden, right, to be uh, conducting themselves appropriately, even if they're not on duty. I do believe that. I, I think that you know we are uh, our rules. We have very delineated rules in our directive uh, that that talk about adherence to the law, conformance with the law, uh, and that is absolutely incumbent on an officer. I think if we find that that kind of behavior didn't occur, or if if a court says that that's not what occurred, then we have a different place. But if a court says that's what occurred, uh, there was a crime committed. Yeah, then there has to be uh, accountability and there has to be discipline. But it's certainly on the face of it, it seemed pretty troubling. On the face of it, it was very troubling. Um, Chief, I want to ask you, get to the question I was going to ask you, which is, there's been a group in Burlington um, led by Andy Voda, I think Jane Nodell mm-hmm. was involved in this, and others who put together a series of, of um, ideas, at least in regard to public safety. One of them is in regard to car th- uh, automobile theft, and they've said that we're operating now under a, a law that is called unauthorized use, and they would like, and that seems like a problem. They want to change it to Grand Theft Auto. Yes. Do you think that's a good idea? Yes, I do. I think that we are, uh, if not unique, we're darn close to unique among states in the country for not having a Grand Theft Auto statute. Um, I think, uh, you know, being able to to have Rockstar Games create a, a GTA Burlington would be really great. Um, and yet we can't do that because we don't have a GTA statute. Uh, but in, in all seriousness, uh, it is very important to be able to distinguish between just the larceny value of, a, of an item and this notion of unauthorized use, which is... Is a component of a very compassionate state and compassionate community, uh, and the idea that you know you're only using it uh, briefly, um, but it is in form. It is a form of theft, and and even when people are not taking the vehicle to be parted, that is to be you know cut up into component parts and sold, uh, which is most of the cases in Vermont. They are not being stolen in order to be sold, as is the case in other places, Montreal, uh, New York City, etc. Um, even when they're not doing that, they are still denying the person who owns the car of the use of that car and they also often are the vehicles are recovered in states that are really not commensurate with being able to take the car again they're they've often been lived in in a way uh that is uh just destructive to the car nobody wants to be in that car anymore that is taking somebody's property and it is uh it is it is theft and it should be recognized as such and and there thereby allow us to to prosecute it properly so that's a change you'd support in Montpelier. Uh-huh, yes yes to say nothing of the fact that the car insurance rates are going through the roof and that's a disproportionate hit on low to middle income uh, people let's go to the phones good morning you're live on the morning drive uh yes good morning gentlemen uh my, this isn't my question but you know what this amounts to right chief is borrowing without a note and that's like a misdemeanor is it a misdemeanor rather than a felony i i'm not familiar with that charge actually borrowing without a note well that's what I, i'm being sarcastic oh. i mean the, the one that they're imposing 
it's essentially borrowing a, a car I, without a note. That's I, what I, I call it. Gotcha. I, I see what you're saying now. You're, you're saying that that, the oper, uh, that operating without an owner's consent is is equivalently bo- uh, the equivalent of borrowing without a note. Um, Absolutely. It, yes. Uh, it is. It is a lower. Uh, you know. It, it is not the. It doesn't have the severity that it should have, and it does tie the hands of officers upon arrest. Uh, that when an officer encounters somebody in a stolen vehicle, a they don't have a high charge like grand larceny auto or grand theft auto, and instead all they've got is operating without an owner's consent. And B, they often cannot uh, prove that the person knowingly was in the car uh, and that it was a stolen car. And the threshold that has been articulated uh, by the Office of the State's Attorney to officers for making arrests on a stolen vehicle is a uh, a threshold of basically beyond a reasonable doubt that this individual knew the vehicle was stolen and or stole the vehicle him or herself and is therefore driving in it. And that's really difficult. Uh, officers really are supposed to meet the, the standard of probable cause, probable cause that you were in this vehicle. When I pull over a person in a stolen vehicle and that person says to me, and I know this person has stolen other vehicles in the past, I know this person's financial and and, and maybe, you know, housing situation, and here they are sitting in a uh, $45,000 Toyota Highlander and they say, oh, this was just given to me by my friend Bill. And you say, who's Bill? And they say, I don't know Bill's last name. And I say, that does not meet the smell test. It is, it is, I have probable cause that you do not know whose car this is. Or, or that you stole it, or that if even if it came from someone else, that person you should have known did not own this car either. Uh, and therefore, you are in this with the knowledge that it is a stolen vehicle. However, I haven't gotten to the beyond a reasonable doubt set. In order to do that, I would have to have video of the person actually stealing the car or video of the handoff from the person who stole it to the person who I, I arrest for being in it. And and because of the absence of that, they are generally there. there's a memo that says we, we are not going to prosecute without that level of evidence and proof. And that is a threshold that I think a Grand Theft Auto statute would make a little bit easier to surmount. I do want to point out, thanks to your report and transparency, in 2018 there were 32 stolen vehicles in uh and it's down in 2023 to 310 but it's basically 10 times what it was five years ago yeah yeah no it's it's really uh, you know stolen vehicle as i said is up 144 percent over the five-year average which is why it's important not only to compare 2023 to 2022 but the five-year average as you absolutely and I, I that's very much why i do that i think uh you know you can you can paint very different pictures depending on how you put the data. I try to give as much data as possible so that people can paint the pictures they want. I don't want to be accused of, of trying to paint a picture for people that leads in the direction I want it to lead. No, you can you can see it right there. I also like the idea, you know, maybe we could monetize this. If we did have uh, Grand Theft Auto, uh, then we could have a GTA Burlington, and maybe we could get some residual, I don't know, could copyright the city of Burlington and maybe get 2% of the game revenue. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> that's, better, that's better than taxing. Uh, um, we don't have to take a break. Oh, I thought you said we need a break. No. Okay, so let's keep going. Then. I thought you said... No, I, thought I you raised could... my hand. I wanted to just comment oh, I thought about you were... the... Okay. All right. Gotcha. I thought, I thought you had made a motion nope, to no worries. take a break. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Hey, good morning. Hey, Chief. Uh, how many of these cars would not be stolen if they were, uh, A, the key wasn't left in them or on the visor and the car was locked. I don't think these car thieves are geniuses that are hot wiring and doing anything technical. They're taking the easy pickings. Is this true? 
So it is it is true and and not true. So uh, initially, yes, that was the phenomenon that we saw largely in 2022 was a phenomenon of people just unfortunately leaving their cars unlocked or even with the keys in them or even running. And to the extent that we can encourage people to stop doing that, we would absolutely see uh, crime uh, with regard to a stolen vehicle drop. Um, however, in 2023, we witnessed a new phenomenon, which was a number of cars that were stolen mostly by young people who had learned on... I believe TikTok or other social media oh, platforms, yeah. a way by which they could uh, take certain cars, particularly Kias and, and Hyundais, uh, and hotwire them essentially using a USB cable. Um, and uh, you could learn how to do it online, and a number of these young people did it. And unlike the stolen vehicle phenomenon that was involved with folks who, I leave my car unlocked uh, foolishly, I'm sorry, oops, uh, but somebody gets in it and then drives that car around as a conveyance, and also possibly living in the car for a certain period of time the uh, phenomenon with the young people who were stealing hyundais and kias was more of this i break into the car i start it using this trick and then i purposefully destroy the car by crashing it i drive it as hard and as fast as i possibly can and i crash it into things and then i i walk away from that and because most of these people were juveniles uh even when apprehended we had very few options in front of us um i mean you know we have juveniles who literally have killed people and we don't have means to hold them in vermont so when you catch one in a stolen car that isn't a stolen car because we don't have such a statute uh, that rendered us very, uh, it was a great challenge with how to deal with these. I've seen that taper off as the school year began again and as it's gotten colder, but is it something that could rear its head again in 2024? It's possible. So you're, you're correct, uh, caller, in the sense that the majority of these are indeed uh, people who are, are finding the opportunity to get in a car. However, because we have not had as much consequences we want we have seen an evolution in our auto in our, our our larceny from a vehicle it used to be that people's cars got uh larceny from a vehicle occurred when the car was unlocked we are now starting to see people breaking into cars via shattered windows etc in other words the crime itself is escalating and the and the, the lengths to which the criminal will go in order to commit the crime are escalating and i do believe that we've seen that a little bit with regard to stolen vehicle as well people who aren't just getting into a car uh be, be, because it was left open or left running but are, cra- are are breaking into the car yeah let's go back to the phones good morning you're live on the morning drive uh good morning i have a couple questions uh, do you think the supposed studies supporters of safe injection sites use to say it's a great idea applies to rural Vermont? And uh, do you think uh, a safe injection site in downtown Burlington will attract dealers and addicts from the surrounding area and counties? So, you know, I, I, I'm... Uh, the, I'm sort of going to withhold discussion about that until the legislature comes up with a, a finalized idea about whether or not it's legal. For the time being, such a site is unlawful, and uh, I believe that it wouldn't be appropriate in Burlington because it's unlawful. So the legislature would need to find a way around that. Yeah. Um, Chief, I want to, we're running out of time. I want to get to the oversight proposal that's out there, um, which is um, not going to be on the ballot in March, but nonetheless, I want to get your views on that. Uh, the way it stands now, if unless there are changes made to it. Um, we know there was the disciplinary committee last year, in question number seven, they got soundly defeated. There's a new proposal for oversight by the, more oversight by the police commission. Do you have any concerns 
with the proposal as it stands now? Well, I, I do. Uh, you know, I've articulated those concerns to um, a subcommittee of the city council, uh, and uh, the, the police commission has articulated its concerns in open session of the police commission. Um, and I think those two reasons are why it's not being it's not going to end up on the ballot in March. I think that's good. Uh, I think they're absolutely has to be oversight. There is oversight right now. I think that the idea of a, of a collegial uh, relationship, but one of accountability between the police commission and the, the chief is really integral. Um, but there are a lot of other layers. Uh, any decision that is made uh, around discipline, A, the police commission gets to see the, the complaints that are made and they know of any internal complaints that are made. That is, uh, you know, when a, when a supervisor sees deficient behavior um, and they are informed of that immediately. They're informed about the progress of the investigation or, or, the tri- or any processes that go. And when a final determination is made, that is shared with them for their input. Uh, and then that input can, in fact, share that determination again say oh you know what you're right i can't this is not the best outcome it should be this at the same time there's also review by the mayor's office uh, on on incidents particularly around use of force um, or around major incidents there is review through hr and the city attorney uh, none of these decisions are made in a vacuum or or by a a single person but there has to be a final decision and that decision right now does reside with the chief of police by by charter and i believe that's appropriate that doesn't mean that that's the final decision a, a, a decision made by the chief of police can be appealed to the police commission, um, and that has happened uh, a number of times in the past couple of years. Um, in time, and the police commission has overturned the chief, uh, the, the chief's decision, and that's appropriate and right. Says it in the charter. There's also a uh, criminal justice uh, council at the state level that can review these and can make determinations about officers and their conduct and whether or not they remain certified. Uh, there is the state's attorney and the U.S. attorney and the attorney general, all of whom can review officers her conduct and behavior and say this was proper or improper and the notion of uh, yet another body getting an undue amount of of power over it really does uh, create i think a sclerotic system that makes it almost impossible to operate as a police officer so what what would you change i would take what we are currently doing and find a better way of perhaps codifying it through a directive uh and not through a charter change and not through necessarily an ordinance either but taking everything we, we have a terrific uh, agreement with the police commission that we made in August of 2020. We have another agreement with them about body camera release that we made in August of 2021. We have an executive order from the mayor, which I, I don't think, you know, it doesn't last past the current mayor, but then could be renewed by whomever the next mayor is around sharing information and how it gets reviewed. That goes back to September of 2020. Uh, I think all of those things have created a system where we don't, ha- I don't know what the problem that we are attempting to address is. I know that there were incidents uh, that troubled our community, and rightly so, from 2018. What are we talking about since? And it's really important that we get this right before putting it on the ballot. 100%. And it should be right. It should be something that, that the parties are all, uh, you know, uh, that there's agreement about, particularly the parties that are going to be most affected, the police commission, the police union, the police department, and, uh, you know, uh, city government. Chief, we're just about out of time. I just want a quick question on the three, uh, the horrific shooting back a while back with the three Palestinian young guys, 20 years old. Yeah. Um, the issue still is talked about a lot of was it a hate crime? Yeah. Was there anything, have we found out anything that indicates it was a hate crime? I mean, it was it was a hateful crime, as the state's attorney said, no question about that. But um, there were some reports that the three gentlemen, or not that the shooter actually, had said things that were more supportive of Palestine, for example. 
Yeah, I, I've seen that in press uh, accounts. Um, you know, seven days that a pretty thorough uh, piece of it. I don't have any internal information about that or official information about that, um, and so I don't. I don't have an informa- an answer that I can give you that is about police data. Okay. No thanks. worries. Thanks for uh, joining us today. It goes fast. It goes really fast. And thanks for that really great year and uh, report. Very thorough. I, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, my wife, Vonnie, uh, knows that it took me far long to create, far too long to create, <laughs> um, but she puts up with that stuff, for which I'm tremendously grateful. Well, we are as well. Thank you very much. And tomorrow, coming up on The Morning Drive, we're going to chat with uh, national columnist Rich, L- Rick, Rich Laurie and Doug Hoffer. Uh, that's going to be an interesting conversation. He just sued uh, the Attorney General. It's the New Hampshire primary tomorrow. ABC News. I'm Sherry Preston. Preparing for the first primary of the 2024 presidential race, GOP voters head to the polls tomorrow with a decision to make.